Hello and welcome to the Southside Church podcast. For more information about Southside Church located in Cape Town, South Africa, visit southsidechurch.co.za. We hope that you enjoy the message. Hello, we are in week two of a series called In Search Of. And we are in search of many things in our personal lives. Sometimes it's information that we can gain by using search engines. But it's also often things like the search for happiness or purpose or relationships. Last week, we began this journey by looking at the search for our calling or purpose and the blessings of God. And today I want us to look at the search for happiness. Happiness is ever-present in our cultural conversation and often at the forefront of our minds. Advice on how to be happy is everywhere. A Google search for happiness yields over 75 million results and nearly 40,000 books on or related to the topic are available for purchase on Amazon.com. The interesting thing, though, is that the search for happiness can often actually lead to the most unhappy and unhealthy places in our lives. Think about the things people do in a striving to be happy. Maybe it's overeating or the use of drugs for a high. Those kind of things might create happy moments, but they aren't healthy and will eventually lead to destruction. Jim Carrey, the famous American actor, made the statement, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Often the things that we strive for in order to feel happy are actually things that aren't healthy for our personal lives. My youngest son is so much like me. He's this like little crazy guy. In fact, my youngest son is literally my parents' revenge. Like... I was a difficult little young boy growing up and (laughs) I'm having the revenge right now with my youngest son. And one of the things about my youngest son is that he's got a sweet tooth just like me. And so he loves dessert at the end of dinner. So he'll, he'll walk into the kitchen sometimes and he'll have his plate and there's still vegetables on the plate. He'll put it down by the sink and say, dad, I'm finished. Now, I know that he hasn't finished because he hasn't eaten his veggies, but he wants the chocolate that's his dessert. My son is aiming toward the goal of the chocolate that will make him happy, while as his parents, I'm going, whoa, whoa, you need to eat your veggies because they're going to make you healthy. I have an understanding of uh, what things could look like in his future if I simply gave him everything that made him happy. He would eat chocolate for breakfast, lunch, and supper. He wouldn't have teeth by the time he was a teenager. He wouldn't develop properly, and he would have huge problems with his physical health. I'm more concerned about him eating the vegetables first because I know in the long run, his health is more important than his happiness. And God, as our good father, feels the same way. He's more interested in your health than the shallow, superficial, momentary experience of happiness. In Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 in the Bible, it says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. It doesn't say happy moments give us strength. It says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And strength in this verse is a Hebrew word meaning a place or means of safety, protection, refuge or stronghold. When we are not happy, when we feel weak externally, when our world is not what we want, we are still able to be strengthened by running into the inner protection refuge of joy that's cultivated by our confidence in the goodness of our God. Because 
If I'm not happy, I still know God's ensuring that I'm healthy. Happiness is something that is determined by the external, while joy, the joy of the Lord, is cultivated internally. The American journalist, novelist, and screenwriter Adela Rogers St. John's wrote, Joy seems to me a step beyond happiness. Happiness is a sort of atmosphere you can live in sometimes when you're lucky. Joy is a light that fills you with hope and faith and love. And when I read that description, it reminded me of a moment documented in the pages of history from the Bible about the life of a man known as the Apostle Paul. There was one moment in his life where he had been accused and then beaten and placed in a prison cell. And in the moments while he sat in those shackles within the prison, while his external world was an unhappy place, he didn't lift his hands in protest against God, but raised his hands in praise to his good father. Somehow it seems that Paul had found an inner strength in his God while his outer world was falling apart. He experienced the joy of the Lord, which gave him hope, faith, and love in an unhappy situation. And God wants you to experience this joy in the midst of every moment of your life. The American theologian Timothy Keller said, God is so committed to your ultimate joy that he was willing to lunge into the greatest depths of suffering himself for you. So maybe our focus throughout our lives should be cultivating the joy of the Lord rather than pursuing happiness. An online article uh, called Psychologies explained that joy is more consistent and is cultivated internally. It comes when you make peace with who you are, why you are, and how you are. Whereas happiness tends to be externally triggered and is based on other people, things, places, thoughts, and events. Paul could experience the ability to raise his hands and praise God because people, things, places, and events, like being in a prison, couldn't determine the inner joy of the Lord that became his strength. And so while happiness is pursued externally, joy is cultivated inwardly. And that means that we might need to shift our focus in our personal lives. The psalmist in Psalm 121 verse 1 to 2 speaks about having to shift focus in a moment where help was required in their personal lives. They wrote, I look up to the mountains and hills longing for God's help. Clearly, you can see the psalmist was looking up to the grandeur and the size of the mountains. Man, I need that kind of magnitude of power to help me in my situation. I look up to the mountains and hills longing for God's help. But then I realize that our true help and protection come only from the Lord, our creator who made the heavens and the earth. Right there, you can see there's a shift in the focus of the psalmist. From looking to the size of the mountains for help, suddenly the psalmist came to realize that the true help and protection they were looking for only came from God. For you and I, if we're going to shift our focus, we need to stop looking for happiness and start cultivating inner joy. We no longer have to look for happiness, but we can begin to cultivate inner joy. 
because our God is powerful and the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside me. That joy is on the inside and the joy of the Lord then becomes my strength. So the question is, how do we cultivate joy in our personal lives? Remember earlier we spoke about the Apostle Paul that was able to draw inner joy in an unhappy external situation while in prison. Well, he wrote in the book of Philippians chapter 4, 11 to 14, the following words, referring to his own life. He said, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, Paul in the first line of that uh, scripture says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances, whether I've been in need or whether I've had plenty. How was he able to be content when he didn't have what he needed? He was able to be content whatever the circumstance because he lived out of a life of gratitude. The reason we understand that he lived a life of gratitude is because gratitude turns what we have into enough. Whether we are in need it's still enough. And whether we have plenty, it's still enough. Because gratitude turns what we have into enough. You see, it is not joy that makes us grateful. It is gratitude that makes us joyful. It means we can be joyful in places where the external circumstances don't allow us to be happy. It is not joy that makes us grateful. It is gratitude that makes us joyful. Professor Brene Brown is an amazing speaker, especially around courage and vulnerability. And she did a study and researched a little bit around joy. And she said uh, that one of her findings was that without exception, every person I interviewed who described living a joyful life or who described themselves as joyful actively practiced gratitude and attributed their joyfulness to their gratitude practice. For us to cultivate joy, we need to practice gratitude. For us to unlock the joy of the Lord that can become our strength, we need to practice gratitude. Brene Brown goes on to explain that it seems gratitude without practice may be a little like faith without works. It's not alive. Why do we need to practice gratitude? Because we, first of all, don't always feel gratitude. And secondly, there's not always something to be grateful for. That's why it has to be as intentional as something we practice throughout our daily lives. And we see this call to practicing gratitude in God's word, where the Apostle Paul, who was living out of gratitude himself, wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 to 18, the following words. He said, let joy be your continual feast. Make your life a prayer and in the midst of everything, be always giving thanks for this is God's perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. He says in the midst of everything, be always giving thanks. That is very intentional. That is not something you do when you feel like it. In every circumstance, he says, continually give thanks. In other words, practice gratitude. In his book, Soul Keeping, the author John Ortberg describes in one line what it is to practice gratitude when he says, take the time each day 
to remember the benefits you received, see your benefactor, and thank him for his benefits. There are three things I want to take out of that statement. Number one is we are called to remember the benefits we receive. In Psalm 103 verse 2, it says, Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits. With that in mind, I want to leave you with two questions to reflect on. What one new thing can I thank God for each day? Think about new things, things you've never thanked God for before. Become aware of things you're grateful for that are new to your view or your perspective. The second thing you can ask yourself is what one thing can I thank God for in each moment of the day? Whether I'm driving or I'm walking through the mall to go and pick up a loaf of bread or whether I'm uh, sitting in the doctor's office waiting to see him because I need some medicine. What one thing can I thank God for in each moment of the day? Number one, remember the benefits you received. Number two is see the goodness in your life as gifts given to you from the benefactor, God. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father. With that in mind, you can ask yourself this question. What can I acknowledge is a gift from God that I've often taken for granted in my everyday life? There are so many good things that surround us every day. There's the ability to see the sunset in the evenings. The fact that we can get dressed into clothes and go to work because God's provided a way for us to make an income. There are the family we have around us or the children that are healthy. And so what can I acknowledge is a gift from God that I've often taken for granted in my everyday life? Point number one, remember the benefits that you've received. Number two, see the goodness in your life as gifts given to you from the benefactor, God. And number three, thank God for the good things he's given you. And the question here is, where in my everyday do I intentionally engage with God and give him thanks? It needs to be intentional if it's a practice. And so if we can think about one new thing to thank God for each day, if we can think about things to thank God for in each moment of our day, and if we can acknowledge the gifts God gives us that we often take for granted in everyday life, then we can begin practicing gratitude and cultivating the joy of the Lord that becomes our strength. Albert Einstein said there are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is though everything is a miracle. Now maybe you're sitting here saying, Grant, you've got to understand. When I wake up on a Monday morning, it ain't no miracle. I walk into the mundane rhythms of working nine till five, coming home, cooking supper, doing the dishes, getting back to bed so I can do it the next day. But I want to encourage you to begin seeing your world differently. And in John chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, in the Passion Translation of the Word of God, it says, and, and through his creative inspiration, through God's creative inspiration, this living expression made all things. For nothing has existence apart from him. Life came into being because of him. For his life is light for all humanity. It says there that life came into being because of him. Forget your Monday. 
The fact that you exist is a miracle in itself. God's word says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. But our God is a good father and his passion is that we would know joy and we would live healthy lives rather than just happy lives. And so he made sure that our miraculous existence didn't have to be one of just surviving, but of thriving. You see, the miracle of our lives is not just life, but being able to live in the light of God's salvation. Because in John chapter 8 verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light to the world and those who embrace me will experience life-giving light and they will never walk in darkness. The miracle of our lives is not just life, but living in the light of God's salvation. Therefore, if God did nothing else for you, it would still be enough. If God did nothing else for me, it would still be enough. It would be enough for me to get up every day and live with gratitude regardless of my circumstances. And that's why Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 in the Bible that in the midst of everything, we are to always be giving thanks, to be practicing gratitude. Because not only do I live miraculously made, fearfully and wonderfully, but I do so in the light of salvation through Jesus. This is why we can live out 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 18 from the Bible that says in the midst of everything we can always be giving thanks. We can be practicing gratitude always in every situation. God's word is calling us not to live in moments of gratitude but grateful living because you can't be grateful for everything but can be grateful for every God-given moment. Brene Brown said, I don't have to chase extraordinary moments to find happiness. It's right in front of me if I'm paying attention and practicing gratitude. And I want to say to you today that you and I don't have to chase things to make us happy. In fact, part of the power of being a follower of Jesus is that you stop living a life burdened by striving and you begin to live with surrender to the sovereign hand of God when you can't control your situations. You and I don't have to chase things that make us happy. We need to simply pay attention to God and practice gratitude in the present. And it's interesting that when God has our attention first and foremost, then he gives us all the things that we so often have chased in the past. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, it says, So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. And so today you can begin the practice of gratitude by simply paying attention to God and practicing gratitude in your presence. I believe that there's some of you that have found yourself in an unhappy environment externally, a little like Paul in the prison. But there's a power in shifting your focus from looking at your external situation and focusing on the things that you are grateful for and the fact that God is present in the midst of your prison experience. And as you begin to express your gratitude through praise before God rather than protest, those are the moments in which those 
prison gates can fling open leading to your deliverance, where God can give you the things that you desire. And so I pray that as you lift your gaze to God, as you begin to practice gratitude, the prison places in your life would have the doors flung open and the shackles fall from your feet. That's my prayer for you wherever you might find yourself. So keep focused and paying attention to God and practice gratitude right now in your presence.